Let's stand at God's Word. And it's uh, Proverbs uh, 23, 15 through 35. Reads out. It says, My son, if you have a wise heart, my heart will rejoice as well. My heart rejoices when you speak what is right. Do not envy sinners in your heart. Instead, continue to fear the Lord. There is indeed a future, and your hope will never be cut off. My son, listen, be wise, and keep your mind going in the right direction. Do not associate with those who drink too much wine, with those who eat too much meat, because both a drunk and a glutton will become poor. Drowsiness will dress a person in rags. Listen to your father. Since you are his son, and do not despise your mother because she is old, buy truth and do not sell it. That is, by wisdom, discipline, and understanding. A righteous person's father will certainly rejoice. Someone who has a wise son will enjoy him. May your father and your mother be glad. May she who gave birth to you rejoice. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes find happiness in my ways. A prostitute is a deep pit. A loose woman is a narrow well. She is like a robber lying in ambush. She spreads unfaithfulness throughout society. Who has trouble? Who has misery? Who has quarrels? Who has a complaint? Who has wounds for no reason? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who drink glass after glass of wine and mix it with everything. Do not look at wine because it is red, because it sparkles in the cup, because it goes down smoothly. Later it bites like a snake and strikes like a poisonous snake. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mouth will say embarrassing things. You will be like someone lying down in the middle of the, of the sea or like someone lying down on top of a ship's mask saying, They strike me, but I feel no pain. They beat me, but I'm not aware of it. Whenever I wake up, I'm going to look for another drink. To turn with me in God's Word once again, this time to Ephesians chapter 5. We're back in Ephesians this morning. Ephesians 5, we'll be looking at verse 18. As a preacher of the Word, it does my heart good to sing, and can it be one of my very favorite hymns. Um, it's just it's wonderful. I never get tired of it. And it's great to follow that and preach the Word of God after singing such a wonderful hymn. Ephesians 5.18, spiritual power. Spiritual power. A few, a few weeks ago, we began our study in Paul's section in Ephesians 5 and 6 on walking in wisdom. And we began our study in verses 15 through 17. Now, when you think about walking in wisdom, and we think both about our day, but also the, the ancient times of the Ephesians, there were people in some of the pagan religions of their day that taught that the uncontrolled frenzy of heavy drinking would enable a person to be filled by the spirit of one of their gods. And through that, they sought things like insight, wisdom, and, and a uh, divine consciousness. Other Christians in their day assumed that occasional drunkenness is harmless. 
But Solomon said about wine that whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. And, of course, when we talk about wine today, you can think any kind of alcoholic beverage because it applies to all of those. Uh, He said, if you're intoxicated by that, it is not wise, Proverbs 20, verse 1. And you probably picked up when Avery was reading from Proverbs 23 there, because Proverbs is all about wisdom, right? And he even calls out the the need for wisdom there and how it is unwise for the drunkard that he then explains or or describes for us. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but um, drunkenness and wisdom are opposite. They do not go together. See, drunkenness starts when the alcoholic beverages you consume begin to influence you. It moves you away from wisdom and toward foolishness rather than toward wisdom as some of the uh, pagan religions taught. Drunkenness prevents you from understanding and doing God's will. And so that's why we find these things tied together uh, in Ephesians 5 and just follow with me here. Ephesians 5, verse 15, we started with last time. And notice the connection there, how wisdom and, and even how drunkenness, that he brings those together on purpose. We'll see why. Ephesians 5, verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so this idea of wisdom and understanding God's will and being able to do God's will, we're going to see this woven all throughout our discussion today because these all are tied together. And then he goes on, and do not get drunk with wine. And it may seem like, well, that was just kind of one of those things where Paul's like, oh yeah, I just want to make sure I tell him, you know, don't get drunk, you know, and I just throw it in somewhere. And it's not that at all. He, he mentions it here on purpose, and we'll, we'll see that today. While it is our duty to walk in wisdom, because it's a command, walk in wisdom, the power to walk in wisdom is not ours. We don't have that power in and of ourselves. You see, wisdom and understanding are gifts of God, and we find that in both Old and New Testaments, Proverbs 2.6, James 1.5. They're not natural abilities. We don't start out, even when we're saved, we don't start out with, now I have the natural ability to, to walk in wisdom and to understand the will of God. No, we need spiritual power. Now, like the ancient pagans, some people today think that spiritual power is when they would fall into a frenzy and they would be followed by ecstatic utterances and maybe even doing miracles. That's what they would call spiritual power. And Paul rebuked the Corinthians for that. And he also taught here in Ephesians 5.18 that the true source of power, spiritual power, is the Holy Spirit. And so our lesson today is this. Avoid the wasteful recklessness of drunkenness. Avoid the wasteful recklessness of drunkenness. And instead, submit to the Holy Spirit's power and influence. Submit to the Holy Spirit's power and influence. We're going to see today that being filled by the Spirit, unlike a lot of people who teach today, unlike them, being filled by the Spirit is not losing control. 
Instead, we're going to see that being filled by the Spirit actually increases our self-control. It will also enable us to understand God's will, what we just saw in 15 through 17, but also empower us to do it, to do God's will. So, again, we saw in 15 through 17 that Paul commanded us to walk in wisdom. And now he commands us to submit to the source of power so that we can walk in wisdom. You see, that's why it's all tied together. It's just not a, you know, where, where Paul is just kind of throwing together random, random ideas. That he's all have, he has a purpose for why he says what he says and also where he puts what he says. He's going to add here another vital step uh, with both negative and positive commands. And so let's look first at the prohibition, the negative command, which is to avoid drunkenness. And what he's doing here, remember we, we saw last time in, in Ephesians 5, a few weeks ago, how he'd, he'd been going in, in chapter 4 with the put-off, put-on dynamic. Remember that? You know, stop doing this and do this. Put-off, put-on. And just like put, you know, put off the, the sinful clothes and put on the godly garments, if you will. And then he kind of switches his, his terminology a little bit here, beginning of verse 15, where there are these three pairs of uh, not this, but that. Okay? And, which is basically the same thing. It's just another way of saying put off, put on. And we, we find that again here. Another, another one of these uh, where we find both the negative and the positive. Okay? So first... Constantly avoid drunkenness. Constantly avoid drunkenness. That's our first main point as we kind of unpack this this idea here in verse 18, what he's trying to get at. So again, let's look at verse starting in verse 15. And I, I know I'm reading this over and over again and talking about it over and over but I want you to see how all of this connects together. Okay, that we don't keep them disjointed. Okay, there's walking in wisdom, but then there's, you know, don't get drunk and there's the filling of the Spirit. And then not connect. No, they are. Verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your day, of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. So walk in wisdom, striving to understand what God's will is, to know God's will. And to understand it in, in a way that you can now apply it, you know how you should apply it, and then be able to do it. But in order to do those things, to both understand it and do it, we need the Spirit's power. And so that's where we, we get this, this additional vital step, if you will. Not only walk in wisdom, understand the will of the Lord, but don't get drunk with wine. This is a present tense command, as we've been finding, you know, a lot of these in this larger section. The idea here is probably constantly avoid drunkenness. And that's why I called the first point that. Constantly avoid drunkenness. So, being drunk is to be controlled by alcohol. And you can apply this, and you should apply this, to other substances as well. Whether, you know, different kinds of drugs and things that can have that same impact on you where they begin to control you rather than you being in self-control. <clears throat> so being drunk is when 
uh, a person as we say they are under the influence. You know, we, we use that term, right? Oh, well, so-and-so was under the influence in, in whatever, whether it's alcohol or drugs or something like that. You see, that's the idea here. <clears throat> They're controlled by it. And bear in mind that the, the biblical um, prohibition against drunkenness doesn't just apply to what we think of sometimes as, you know, the, the kind of sloppy, falling down kind of drunkenness. It applies to that, yes, no doubt. But it's broader than that, okay? Um, <clears throat> you see, what, what it's talking about in these, as we put together these biblical passages on, that deal with drunkenness, is that heavy drinking produces uncharacteristic behavior. Okay, so when you drink beyond the point where you should have stopped, what happens, and you know that this is happening, because uncharacteristic behavior is starting to manifest itself, okay? And there's a lot of different ways that can happen, and everybody's a little different in the way they respond, you know, some people will become, you know, more agitated or giddy or that. Others become, you know, angry, sullen or uh, combative. There's a lot. Of, it, but there are things that it's not typical of them when they're not drinking more than they should. Uncharacteristic behavior. Uh, John MacArthur explains that drunkenness begins when it starts to interrupt the normal functions of the body and mind. Okay, you see, so it's starting to interrupt. It's starting to have an impact on our normal functioning of the way we think and the way we act. Okay, and that's how you know when you, when you can sense that, okay, things are, are, I'm not what I was. I'm not the way I normally am. Something is changing here. Even if it's slight, then that's the point where, you know, a person should say, okay, I'm done. Okay? And and then kind of, you know, make a note of that. And it's like, okay, I know I need to stop prior to that next time. Okay? And, and to be wise about this. <clears throat> Self-control. What happens when, when a person drinks too much? Self-control gradually gives control to the substance. So a person, you know, naturally has at least some measure of self-control. I mean, think about it, okay? If you have drank more than you should have at some point, or you have been around somebody that has, then you, you know that this, this is true, where they had been controlling themselves. You know, they, they're not saying things they shouldn't say. And now all of a sudden they've crossed that line and they're starting to say things they shouldn't say, or they're saying them in a way they shouldn't say them. Um, and, and so basically what they're doing is they're, they're giving control over to that substance, whatever it is, alcohol, drugs, those kinds of things. Now, as we think about what I was talking about at the, in the beginning, it was true, some of the thinking that was true of that day, but it's also true of our day. We need to answer a couple questions. Can drunkenness give us spiritual insight? So, okay, John, you're already starting, you're picking on drunkenness, okay, right? Because that's what the Word of God does. And, but, you know, the ancients felt like, you know, they really were more spiritual. They were in touch with their God. Uh, in the Ephesians, they grew up with that, that kind of thinking, with all of the pagan worship in their city. So can it give you spiritual insight? 
And then others who then and now believe that, well, you know, occasional drunkenness is not harmful. So is it really harmless? Well, again, look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. And then he explains, for that is dissipation. So our second point is this. After, after saying that we should constantly avoid drunkenness. Now, drunkenness is wasteful, reckless, and leads to ruin. It's wasteful, reckless, and it leads to ruin. And he uses the word dissipation to bring that out. And that's what dissipation refers to. Wastefulness, recklessness, and some a, a, a lifestyle that will lead to ruin. Think about Luke 15 with the... Uh, the prodigal son. Okay, so he said, Dad, I want all my, I want my share of the inheritance and I'm out of here. And he goes off to a foreign country and it, the Bible talks about uh, the reckless kind of living that he, that he um, partook of. That reckless, sinful living. See, this is dissipation talks about a, a life that is disorderly because of the lack of self-control. So, like that prodigal son, that was very true of him. Okay, he didn't have any self-control. I mean, so much so that he quickly ran out of money. You know, and found himself eating with pigs. You know, and actually looking up to the pigs because they ate better than he did. And and so, you see, that self-control led to you know extreme disorderliness. Uh, Aristotle used this term dissipation for people who readily yield to the temptation of pleasure. You see, they, they have little or no self-control. And so when they feel the temptation to, to the pleasure that they find from drinking too much or, or taking certain you know, drugs they shouldn't be taking, uh, they just don't have the self-control and they just they go with it. They're tempted and they go with it. And so Aristotle used this term to describe those people, this term dissipation. Living this way eventually leads to waste and much worse, to ruin. It is the opposite of walking in wisdom. It's one of the reasons why Paul calls it out here. It is the opposite of wisdom. Now, the Bible is very clear. It condemns drunkenness. Uh, Avery read for us from Proverbs 23, verses 19 to 35. Uh, there, it, part of the section he read, it gives us a vivid description of its effects. And you have uh, there, if you go back and read it and think about what he's saying, what Solomon's saying there, um, the person gets sick, they have their hangover, uh, the destructive consequences that come from it. And he presents it all in very um, picturesque language. Distorted reality, misery, they're insensible to harm, you know. So while they're drunk, they, they fall and hurt themselves. Or he even says, people, you know, they, they beat me and I don't even feel it, you know. And then <clears throat> talks about uh, their enslavement. They crave more. You know, one of the things, just the picturesque language that's used there. He talks about it's like they're out just, you know, laying on the sea... You know, maybe they're on a, you know, a plank from the ship that broke off of it, you know, you know, shipwreck and, and they're on the sea. Well, what happens out on a sea? I mean, you're doing this, okay? Or, and then he says, or it's like they're up on the mast of a ship. Well, okay, which is the, the most wobbly part of a ship? It's up there on the mast, right? That thing's, you know, doing this if you're trying to, you know, sit up there. Well, a person who's drunk, that's how they feel. 
You know, it's like, you know, they talk about the room spinning and, you know, and it's like they're on the sea. He uses that kind of language to say, look, people, this is not wise. And and to show the lack of wisdom, the last thing he says there is that after everything, I mean, you would think that after the first time of those bad consequences, they I'm done, you know, not doing that again. But they don't. Now, some people, that's what happens, okay? They're just like, okay, that was stupid. And and they never do it again. And But then, but these drunkards, they just keep going back. They say, I, don't, I need another drink. And in fact, because of the misery that they've experienced, because of the bad consequences, they want to go back and drink some more so they don't have to think about the bad consequences. And he says, you see here the lack of wisdom in this. Isaiah 5.11 warns, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink. And also, woe to those who stay up late in the evening, that wine may inflame them. So some people will get up early so that they can drink too much. Other people stay up late so they can drink too much. And there's some people who do both. You know, they get up early and stay up late all in the same day. Galatians 5 calls it one of the deeds of the flesh. as it That's the opposite, remember, of the fruit of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 5.11, we are, we are commanded, don't associate with a drunkard. In other words, don't hang out with them. I mean, you might try to minister to them, and, but if they say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to you know, get drunk tonight, you know, come with me. No. I'm going to come over to your house and I'll bring a case. No. Don't associate with a drunkard. And, and beyond even wise, the, the most startling thing that we're told, 1 Corinthians 6.11 or 6.10, they won't inherit God's kingdom. The drunkard will not inherit God's kingdom. Okay, so it's just beyond, oh, there's bad consequences, or, oh, it's not wise. They will not inherit God's kingdom. That should be sobering in more than one way. Now, so does that apply to the... All drinking or consuming of alcohol. Well, I used to believe that it was best to avoid consuming alcohol for Christians to avoid uh, that all the time because it might appear evil to some people. And that was based on uh, one particular translation of 1 Thessalonians 5.22, which says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Okay, And so as I read that, um, I thought, and other people you know, had taught that, I thought, well, okay, if somebody might think, somebody somewhere might think that this is evil, then I I need to avoid it. But the problem is, one problem with that is that there's going to be somebody somewhere that's going to think everything you do is evil, you know. And, And so that doesn't even make sense from that perspective. More importantly, that's not at all what the verse is saying. The verse is actually saying to avoid what actually is evil. And so some will say every form of evil, every everything that is evil. So what is evil, you avoid that. Drunkenness, you avoid it because it is evil, okay? Not just the appearance of it. So we shouldn't avoid just what appears evil to a misinformed person. 
So somebody who might think that, well, all alcohol is bad, they're misinformed, okay, misinformed on, about the Scriptures. And they should not then uh, restrict what I might do. There are other things we'll talk about why you might restrict what you do. And one commentator I love and respect uh, goes to great lengths trying to show that uh, because his view is that, well, yes, the Bible does, you know, say that we can drink wine and in some places tells, you know, commands it. But he says, basically, you know, we really should just avoid it altogether. And, and so it takes a lot of time to try to show in his commentary that what he believes, which I don't agree with, but um, that wine in, in Bible times was either non-alcoholic or it was so low in alcohol that it, you, you couldn't really get drunk off of it anyway, okay? And so he uses terms like, he says, okay, these terms for wine, uh, like Yayin in the Old Testament, um, were used for grape juice and uh, concentrated paste, where they would boil down the grape juice so they could preserve it, make it into a paste, and then he said, you know, they, they sometimes spread that on bread and things like that, but it didn't have any alcohol in it. And then they, if they wanted to drink uh, a flavored drink, then they would add water, and but it wouldn't have alcohol. Well, while those things did happen, that wasn't normal. That wasn't the way that those words were actually used um, in Scripture or in that day. That wasn't like normal. Um, Scripture presents wine and beer much the same way as they are today. Okay, so he tries to conclude that the wine of their day was so different from the wine of our day that we really can't, you know, compare them. And that's not the case. It's very much the same way. Now, they're the same and one way you can easily tell that that line of thinking going outside of Scripture to try to then tell us how to interpret Scripture, uh, you can see how that uh, is mistaken. Try substituting the words grape juice or juice concentrate in the wine and beer passages that you find in Scripture. And you'll find that that doesn't make sense. Okay. So... Wine and uh, alcohol, alcoholic beverages, wine is not evil. It was used, wine, real wine, was used as drink offerings in the temple or tabernacle. Uh, Psalm 104.15 testifies that wine makes the heart glad, okay? And he's not saying grape juice makes the heart glad. It's wine that makes the heart glad. And he says that in a positive light. Solomon advised, I mean, the same man that told us in, in chapter 23 that about the, the folly of drunkenness said, he advised, give strong drink, which strong drink in the Old Testament means beer. Uh, I'm not sure why they didn't translate it that way. A couple of the newer translations do now, which is good, but it's just talking about beer. Um, give strong drink or beer to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter, Proverbs 31.6. And it has to be talking about alcoholic beer and wine. Wine is a picture of salvation in Isaiah 55.1. Paul told Timothy to no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. For some reason, Timothy didn't drink wine at all. And, and Paul said, you know, that's fine if you don't care for it. 
But because of your stomach problems, I'm recommending that you should drink at least some to help you. And then Jesus created real wine at the wedding at Cana. Okay, the very first miracle that he performed, that at least we have recorded, okay, he created wine, and it was real wine. It was wine that could get somebody drunk if they abused it, okay, because of what the head waiter, the head servant, said when he tasted it. And he said, usually, and this is the good stuff, usually you, you put the, the uh, good stuff out first, and then people, you know, will abuse it and, and their senses are, you know, dulled. And then you bring the cheap stuff out and they don't know any better. So basically saying what you did is you put the cheap stuff out first and then you put the good stuff out after that. And Jesus created real wine uh, that could potentially make a person drunk. Now, obviously, he wouldn't be okay with them drinking too much. Okay. Uh, and he didn't give it to him for that reason. But let me exhort us. Let's not fight a false battle against alcohol. Okay. Now, if you don't like alcohol, that's fine. Don't drink it. Okay. Some people just don't. They're, they're like, I know I can. It's okay scripturally, but I just don't like it. It's fine. Okay. Um, so, but let's not fight a false battle against alcohol. Uh, I know that people, and I had a, a friend in my uh, very first Greek class in seminary, and when we went through translating, as we're learning Greek, translating the Gospel of John, we came to that passage, and the professor is saying, this is real wine. You know, and this one guy, he, he was fighting back against it because there was somebody close to him and his family that had, you know, destroyed their life and many lives around them because of their drunkenness. And he had a, a hard time. Well, I get that. But don't go beyond Scripture. I even have had people um, who didn't appreciate the, the view that I hold, which is what I'm sharing with you. Um, and, and they said something along the lines of, well, I would rather just take the higher road, you know, and just say that wine is always bad. And I, I pushed back and I said, I have a big problem if you feel like that you're taking a higher road than Jesus took. If you feel like you're being more spiritual than Jesus, I have a big problem with that. If you choose not to, that's fine. You have that freedom. Okay. But let's join God and combat drunkenness. There are plenty of problems with drunkenness. And, and you don't have to go far to know that there's somebody uh, in your life that probably struggles. And, and let's fight drunkenness and help people either come to know the Lord. And if they know the Lord, to help them... Uh, to battle this in their life so that they're walking with the Lord in a godly way. Now, real quick, I, I don't. I think it's important for us to talk about this at least briefly, and you'll have it on the slide so you can go back to it. Is it okay for you, adults, uh, to drink wine? Okay, you know, leave your your underage. You know, the law is taking care of that. Okay, I'm not going there uh, because that's dealt with. But for you, adults. Is it okay for you if you would like to? Well, here are a few biblical guidelines to follow. First, ask yourself, will it enslave me? Okay? Will it enslave me? I've given you the references. Some people have, because of the problems that they have had with drinking alcohol, that they conclude that, you know, it's just wiser for me not to. I, I enjoyed it. I could still enjoy it. I like the, the taste of it. I just can't because I, I know what I'll do. And they conclude that wisdom says I'm not going to do it. And and so they don't. 
So you need to ask, is it going to enslave me? Second, ask yourself, will it cause a weaker, weaker brother to stumble? And you've got the Romans 14 passage. You also have the first Corinthians 8 through 10 where he talks about freedom and stuff and Christian freedom. And what it means there by making someone stumble. And you're going to have some folks who say, well, that offends me, so you shouldn't do it. That's not what stumble means. Stumble means you're going to cause them to sin. So it's somebody who maybe they, in that first group we just talked about, where they know, you know, I just, I just can't. Or where I'm at right now, I can't. Okay? And, and if you did carelessly, you know, you, you go out to eat with them, you want to have time of fellowship with them, and you know they have a problem with alcohol, and you order alcohol, that, that's probably sin. Because you may tempt that brother or sister to then say, well, you know, that, that sounds real good. I think I'll have a glass of wine too. And then their stumbling means that they would sin. It may be somebody who, at this point right now, in their, the way they understand Scripture, that they think it's wrong. And I'm going to talk about that here in a second. Um, and, and they say, well, you know, okay, brother so-and-so I'm here with, and, and you know, I, I've always thought it was sin, but they're drinking, you know, and so I'll go ahead and have a beer with them too. Okay, and that takes us to the, you would cause them to stumble. Okay, and the, sec, the third question, will it violate your conscience? So ask yourself, will this violate my conscience? And see, those are kind of tied together. So, um, if you think something is sin, even though the Bible doesn't call it sin, if you think it's sin, then if you do it, you sinned. Because in your heart, you're like, okay, I think drinking alcohol is a sin, and I'm going to have a beer. Okay, you just sinned. At least until you have rightly informed your conscience. So you carefully and, and rightfully study the Scriptures and you come to a place where you understand that it really is okay and if you'd like to partake, then you may. Okay. So there's a few practical guidelines to follow um, in, in being wise about how you do it and careful how you do it. Okay, third. Instead, instead of being drunk with wine, submit to empowerment by the Spirit. Submit to empowerment by the Spirit. So we're going to work through this somewhat and try to help you understand what he means by being filled by the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that more uh, in the coming weeks because he's going to keep going with the results of that. We'll see in a little bit. Verse 18 again, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this, the Holy Spirit performs a number of works in on every believer. Okay, and so as we go to the next slide, you'll see that there are these there are three works that I'm calling out some primary ones that people often mix or in their minds they, they get confused. Where, and they think that this is the same as filling, okay, that we're going to be talking about. But I want to walk us quickly through those. So, these that are on this slide, um, sealing, baptism, baptizing, and indwelling, uh, those all three happen to every believer at salvation only once. Because you only get saved once, Right? So that happens to every believer. So three things. It happens only once to every believer and when they are saved. And I call that out. We're not going to go into all the details, but some of you will recognize that there are people who teach otherwise. And in the contrary to Scripture. Okay, like they say, well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens later on in a Christian's life. No, it doesn't. 
you know, or they maybe happens repeatedly. No, it doesn't. Okay, we well, we've talked about some of these a little bit previously, but let's talk about what they mean. We learned in Ephesians one that God's Spirit seals us. In other words, He keeps us secure, and He also indicates that we belong to God. That's why He seals us. Okay. Second, He baptizes us. That is, He places us in Christ as members of Christ's body so that we then can benefit from Christ's death and His life. And you can think here particularly Romans uh, 6, where a passage that we use when we baptize people a lot of times, you know, and, you know, you're buried with Him in baptism, you're participating in His death, and then raised to walk in newness of life, okay? So, so water baptism is a picture of that spirit baptism, Okay, that's why we, one of the reasons we baptize um, is, is a picture of spirit baptism that you can't see. Third, the Spirit also indwells us. He takes up resident in our, residence in our inner man. Uh, you say in our, in our heart, for example. Um, he is there available to influence us and to empower us. So he's, He already exists in every believer <clears throat> uh, in their inner man. And He's available to influence them and empower them. And I've given you the Scriptures. There's a lot more, but um, I just wanted to get at least the main ones up there. And you can use your cross-reference if you want to look up more. <clears throat> so those three, they, they happen to every Christian one time at salvation. But filling, the filling of the Spirit is different. On the one hand, it's different because it's a command. Never are you told, be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You, know, you need to seek the baptism of the Spirit. It doesn't say that. Okay, so we are baptized. We've all been baptized, but we are told, we're commanded that we need to be filled with the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit isn't automatic. Those those three on the slide are all automatic. They happen whether you realize it or not, whether you ask for it or not. They're automatic when you are, when you trust in Christ. <clears throat> so, let's try to understand what he means by being filled by the Spirit. So, I don't believe that the Spirit is the substance that fills us. Okay? Some people take it that way, or they see it as both. He is what fills us, and He's the one who fills us. Okay? Um, and, and that may be, and it's not bad to think that way. There's nothing, I think, harmful about that. But I don't think that He's the substance that fills us. Like, um, we'll see in a minute... Like you have a balloon, you know, he's the, um, he's not the air in the balloon, okay? Because, I mean, in the sense of filling it, he's, or he is like the air, he's already there, okay? And I'll, I'll walk you through that picture in a minute, but <clears throat> he's not the substance, he's the one doing the filling, okay? So I prefer to translate this filled by the Spirit rather than with the Spirit. Now, now some commentators who take the view with, they say that they mean, by and with. They say he, he is the substance and he's the one doing it. Okay. And that's what they mean by with. Kind of thinking broadly. But I think it's more helpful and clearer in our minds or can be clearer in our minds to think by. He's the one doing the filling. He's the one filling us. Okay. So we studied back in chapter 3 verse 19 this idea of filling. Paul prayed that believers would be filled up to all the fullness of God. You know, that, that idea that's just kind of like blows your mind. Okay, how could we be filled up to all the fullness of God, right? Um, and it's kind of staggering. And <clears throat> what he meant by that 
was that we would be completely saturated to be filled to overflowing with God's character, his power, and his influence. And so as we go to the next slide, uh, I've called out some of these things, but then there's the, the balloon. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is already inside of us. That happened at salvation. So it's like the, the balloon is filled with air. And think, and think in terms, okay, that's the Holy Spirit is already in there. He's not the air. He's, I mean, he is the air. He's already filling us in that sense, or indwelling us. Sorry, I'm, I'm mixing my terms up and probably confusing you. So, the Holy Spirit is already in us. He indwells us. Okay? He's like the air in a balloon. But the feeling that He does, that work He does, is to saturate us with something. We'll talk about what the something is, okay? He saturates us with something. So, it's like in, in that balloon, you know, there may be another gas that's, that's added or something like that, you know, helium, those kinds of things, um, and that, that would then saturate, okay? Or a dye or something might saturate everything, okay? So, the Holy Spirit does the filling. He's already there. And he's saturating us. And so it's his, uh, God's character, his power, his influence, the Holy Spirit's character, power, and influence that saturates us, or as Paul uses the term here, fills us. Now, fills us with what? What is it, is he, what is he filling us with if he's already in us? Okay, so. The context here indicates that he is filling us with the understanding of God's will. That's what we're talking about. That's why I kept reading that over and over again. 15 through 17. Understanding God's will. Right? And he fills us. He saturates us with that. So as we seek to know, understand God's will, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it so that it it saturates our minds. Right? And then also it empowers us to walk in wisdom. So we get his influence, we also get his power. This is supported by the parallel passage. You know, uh, Colossians is in a lot of ways parallel to Ephesians. They both sound a lot alike. They use a lot of the same words um, and phrases. And so Colossians 3.16, which will talk, it'll get straight into, you know, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, just like verse 19 is going to do here, right? Okay. So what he says right before that, though, is, and what's parallel with this, be filled with the Spirit, is let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. You see, there's the connection again with wisdom from verse 17, right? So you see the tie there. So, with the wisdom, understanding God's uh, will, 15 through 17, wisdom, understanding His will. He's filling us with wisdom so that we understand God's will. And He fills us with power to do God's will. Okay? Now, the Holy Spirit is the effective power in our obedience. We need to understand that. That's why we need this filling. And this is something that we need anytime we're going to be doing anything Christian. Okay? And, and I'll show, give you, give you some examples. Okay? So all the ways that we serve, we live, we respond. But He's the effective power in our obedience. Think about Philippians 2.13. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Uh, Hebrews 13.21, God is working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. And you see a connection back to verse 10, right? Where we want to be pleasing to Him. Uh, Jesus assured us that apart from me, Jesus, you can do nothing. John 15.5. And then 1 Corinthians 12.6, it is God who works all things in all persons. They're particularly talking about spiritual gift, but He says all things. So everything. It's God who does the work. 
And then Paul admitted that even though he worked harder than the rest, his working was the, the product of the grace of God with me, 1 Corinthians 15.10. Okay, so we need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to obey God's will, to understand it and obey it. We need His Holy Spirit, His empowerment. A key difference, too, between drunkenness and filling by the Spirit is self-control. We talked about this already. So as a person drinks too much, they increasingly lose control. And if they, you know, go all the way, we talk about, you know, that falling down kind of drunk, they've lost self-control. Okay, they've given control fully over to the substance. But the more control we give to the Holy Spirit, the more self-control we have. And why do I say that? Well, have you heard of self-control somewhere in the Bible that's connected to the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5, right? 22 and 23. And verse 23 says that the fruit of the Spirit is, and one of the nine is, guess what? Self-control. So the Holy Spirit, as we give Him more control in our lives, the opposite of alcohol, right? He gives us more control in the sense of self-control. So, as you seek to understand God's will, you seek to do His will, you must submit to the Spirit's empowerment. And and one of the things about self-control, too. So, you remember, I talked about those pagan religions and how they thought, you know, what we need is just basically to, you know, fall into an ecstatic, you know, state and and with these utterances and everything and, and just lose control. Well, Paul... When he talked to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, he said, no, even with you know, tongues and prophecy and things like that, the person with that gift being, if it's the Holy Spirit working in them, they have control. They are in control of their gift. See, it's not a matter. And I know people, there are, you know, people today that teach that uh, they have a certain gift and now they lose, they lose control. And that is not what Paul taught. He taught the exact opposite whether it's tongues, prophecy, whatever. Okay. Now, this verb is present tense. It, it, could, it might be continuous action, like be continually filled by the Spirit. As long, and that's okay as long as you don't see it as a state that I slip in and out of. You know, okay, I'm, I'm walking along, I'm filled, and oh, all of a sudden I lost the filling, you know, and I need to get back. And then you end up with, you know, carnal Christian versus spiritual Christian, which is not what the Bible teaches. And so don't let it go there if that's what you hold. I, I think it, it's probably more likely to be iterative. So as you consciously know that you need the, the power of the Spirit, now you need Him all the time, but as you're conscious of it, that you seek to be filled by the Spirit. And so as you seek to understand His will, seek to do His will, you submit to His empowerment. And that's how we find filling used in the New Testament. Think about, uh, and I'll, I'll go through a few ways, but whenever they have Christians have a particular task, a particular ministry to do, it talks about the being filled with the Spirit. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, Spirit filling, it prepared Jesus to be tempted in the wilderness. So when you find yourself tempted, you're facing temptation then you need to say, Spirit, fill me. Enable me to face this temptation. 
to prepare the disciples on the day of Pentecost to preach Jesus, Acts 2. Enabling Peter to preach Jesus to the religious leaders. So he would could potentially be intimidated by those guys because, you know, they, they would hurt him, you know, and possibly kill him. Acts 4.8. But he was prepared to preach Jesus. So, again, you're going to share the gospel with somebody? You should pray, Spirit, fill me. Don't let me do that. try to do this on my own. Fill me, okay? I need your power. Stephen uh, was empowered to stand firm as he was martyred, Acts 6. And then, of course, you have uh, 1 Corinthians 12, the, the exercise of spiritual gifts. So don't exercise your spiritual gift without consciously, consciously thinking you know, and praying, Spirit, I, I need you to empower me to make this gift effective. Okay? You know, it's not just, oh, I'm so skillful. No, you need the Spirit to empower you. The verb is also passive voice. It's a command, so it's your duty. But it's in the passive voice rather than active, which means you don't do it. You don't fill yourself. Okay? You're responsible to seek it, but you're not the one that does the filling. It's the Holy Spirit who does the filling. So, what do we do with this? As you seek to please God in whatever way, you're facing temptation, you're wanting to preach Jesus, you want to exercise your gifts, um, whatever those things are, ask Him to fill you by His Spirit. Father, fill me by Your Spirit. May He fill me with His influence and His power that I would do this in a way that pleases You. And then do what He called you to do. Don't just sit back and, okay, I'm waiting to be zapped. Okay, Lord, you know. No. Get busy. Do it. He told you to do whatever, all the commands in the Scripture to do. Okay? So get busy doing it. But as you do, having already asked, trust that He will fill you to empower you, to obey Him in a way that pleases Him so that you do it with the right motive, you do it in the right manner. Right? So we saw that the outcome of drunkenness is dissipation. What's the outcome of being filled with the Spirit? Well, that's what we're, that'll be the subject of our study in the next few weeks. So, so we get into verses 19 and following. <clears throat> One of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection, as he taught us in, in John 14 through 16, is that he said, I'm going to go to my Father in heaven. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back. That's one of the benefits of His death and resurrection. He would send the Holy Spirit to us. And He said that the Spirit will be in us, indwelling us. In other words, He's available to us to empower us and influence us. Jesus said in that passage, John 16, 14, that the Holy Spirit would glorify Jesus. And that's what we want Him to do in us right now as we come to the Lord's table. And we should all in our hearts be praying, Spirit, glorify Jesus now as I partake of the Lord's table. Glorify Jesus for what He did, for for dying for me. Produce proper worship in me and us as we gather around the table. Let us glorify Christ. 